0: Welcome everyone to today's devotion. We're in Mark chapter 3. In case we're having connection issues, which I suspect we will, uh, let me know in the comments and uh, I will get another version up without all the interruptions. With that, we're in Mark 3 and uh, what we see here is the growing opposition Jesus is facing. Now remember what we've seen so far in Mark. One of the themes is Jesus is, is taking on a cosmic warfare. So we see him casting out demons and the demons respond So far, only the demons have professed Jesus to be the son of God, which is from the very first verse of the book of Mark. We're going to see a similar pattern here where we have more healings, more more exorcisms. Uh, but it is uh, the people around Jesus uh, who um, come in opposition to him. Um, and, and we're to make that that connection between the supernatural world and the natural world right? um, So first one he entered the synagogue uh, and a man was there with a withered hand So notice the setting the setting is always important. Jesus is in a synagogue where uh, in a place of worship he is going to demonstrate he is divine and The religious people don't want that to happen, right? If it's not on the bulletin you can't do it right because the bulletin is the inerrant Word of God or so we sometimes act. They watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath so they might accuse him. And he said to the man with the withered hand, Come here. And he said to them, Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life, or to kill? Now notice the way he's asking this question. On the one hand, he is saying, Look, should we do good or bad? Obviously, we should should do good. You wouldn't know that by turning on your news. But we know we should do good. But the way he asked the question is significant. Is it lawful to do good or bad? The Pharisees have taken the simple commandment uh, to to remember the Sabbath, which is a generic uh, law, right? It's not very specific. They've taken that to say any work you do, good, bad, or ugly, is unlawful in violating uh, the Mosaic law. Uh, well, Jesus is saying here, look, the Sabbath was never meant to, to restrict us from serving our neighbor and loving our neighbor. To love God, love your neighbor, is is the uh, defining principle of everything else much in the same way it's been traditional in american law and constitutional interpretation that the declaration of independence is a interpretive tool to interpreting the Constitution, right? Not everyone holds that, of course, especially now that, you know, America is supposedly evil. But uh, th- that's been a traditional way of, of, of viewing it. So, too, the, the greatest commandments, love God, love your neighbor, is an interpretive tool to see everything else. So, if you are refusing to do good on the Sabbath, then you are breaking the Sabbath. You should always love your neighbor. And that's the point Jesus is getting at. Is that the law is restricting actually fulfilling the law, this oral law, this oral tradition, this Phariseeism and that's what religion does in general. Um, so Jesus asked that question and um, um, you know everyone remains silent because they don't want, want to offend you know um, unless of course they have an anonymous Twitter account then then they don't mind being a troll. Uh, and then Jesus says to the man, stretch out your hand, uh, there at the end of verse five, he stretched it out. His hand was restored. So once again, we see a similar story: Jesus cleansing the leper, for example, Jesus healing, uh, Jesus' mother or, or Peter's mother-in-law. Uh, all, all of that. Um, so what we see is the the divine one, the Son of God. Remember the very first verse of Mark has has now come upon those who are sick and dying and, and hurt, right? So, so what we have is the gospel is coming upon you. The kingdom of God has come upon you. And, and so what we, we've seen, we talked about this Friday, um, is that the, these healings are a picture of the gospel. So the gospel heals even from uh, religious restrictions, right? Religion doesn't heal, but the gospel does. Um, but you'll notice in verse 6, the Pharisees went out and immediately, there's that word that Mark loves so much, immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him how to destroy him. Now, this is like saying the Republicans and the Democrats got together uh, in order to figure out how to destroy someone, right? They, 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 these are not bedfellows. These are not people who, who get along, right? Um, maybe they'll uh, uh, together join to start a riot. And and so they, they come together. Herodians are pro-Rome. Obviously, their name is, they're part of the party of Herod. The, the Pharisees and the scribes are anti-Rome. Uh, they want to get rid of Rome and set up their own um, uh, theocracy. But Jesus brings enemies together. In this case to do bad things right but but uh, the enemy of my enemy is, is, is now my friend and jesus is seen as the ultimate enemy here because he does threaten both he threatens those who turn to the state for hope and he threatens those who turn to religion for their hope because jesus is the answer if only there was application for that today if only well what we then see is people start to follow jesus uh even despite that he is making an enemy of the people of power people start to follow him in verse 10 he had healed many so that all who had diseases pressed around him to touch him whenever the unclean spirits saw him they fell down before him and cried out you are the son of god again the only person thus far to declare jesus to be the son of god are demonic beings which is striking isn't it Because what does that say to the Herodians and the Pharisees and to those who are critical of him and oppose him? What does that say of them? Even the demons believe, yet tremble, James would say. Well, from there, Jesus now appoints his 12 disciples, whom Mark tells us are the 12 apostles. and he says that they might be with him; he might send them out to preach. So, a, a disciple is is a learner, is what the word means. An apostle is one who is sent out, called out. So he will train them to to send them out. By the way, this is Jesus's primary model of evangelism. Uh, it is to build relationships. Uh, so so it's evangelism through discipleship, not evangelism that leads to discipleship. Um, now now you can. Tell someone about Jesus, get saved, and disciple them. But the model Jesus gives us is discipleship that brings out evangelism. right? And and, and, and discipleship is dirty, hard work. But it yields re- results. Um, what Christians have been doing, church has been doing, is, is we've been trying to do evangelism at a distance. We'll have a big event, we'll have a lot of pizza and ice cream, and you'll hear about Jesus, and then come to the church. Rather, what, it, what Jesus models for us is... Um, the people god puts in your life you invest in you disciple and you lead to same knowledge of of christ and then if you have 3 and then they have 3 and then each of them have 3 it's multiplication by a much greater number and they're named here simon james john Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. Now, what we need to see here is what Jesus does for these men is what he's been doing for the man with the withered hand, the leper, all of them. Um, Now, it's not given here. uh, I spent four or five weeks, maybe six weeks, on the 12 disciples Um, uh, on Wednesday night. You can go back and see that series it's on uh, the podcast, it's on YouTube, on Facebook, watch all that sort of stuff. Uh, but what we need to see here is what Jesus is doing uh, for, for people is what he's done um, with, with diseases. He's bringing people together. Some of these are quite violent. Simon the Zealot is basically a domestic terrorist. Uh, Matthew is, uh, uh, would be pro-Roman since he works for the Roman Empire. So he brings this group of, of men together. And to, to disciple them, one will betray, as the text tells us. Spoiler alert! Uh, but the rest, what are they doing? They're going to come together to follow Jesus to declare him to be the Son of God. The kingdom is upon us. However, notice what happens. Verse twenty. He went home, and crowd, uh, and the crowd gathered around, gathered again, so that they could not even eat. When his family heard it, they went out to seize him, for they were saying, he is out of his mind. Now, notice what just what you see here, because this is going to come up in the next scene. They are trying to seize him—a very violent term. Why? Because he's 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 gone insane. Which is similar to what the religious elites will accuse Jesus next. They will attribute um, insanity to what is really the work of God. In the next scene, the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, the Pharisees will attribute to Satan. What is the work of God? So around Jesus is you have family, you have religious leaders who are turning against him. But who is coming? Those who know they are broken, those who know they are needy, those who are desperate for Jesus. And he draws them to himself and they find grace. This is a picture of the gospel. It is still true today. It must be true today. Verse 22, um, so uh, the scribes come down and they say he is possessed by Beelzebub and by the prince of demons, he is cast out the demon. Beelzebul just means Lord of Flies, has an Old Testament context um, that we don't need to uh, get in at, at this point. You you can do a study of it on, on your own t- terms. Um, but he they claim, uh, so, so let me summarize their accusation. As we've already said, they attribute to Satan the work of God. All these healings are the work of God, but they can't uh, disprove that they are legitimate. There's not magic and that there's some trick. No, they are legitimate. A lot of people showing up at the temple say, this dude named Jesus from Galilee healed me. Here, here's the proof. I'm no longer a leper. I I'm, I'm no longer have a withered hand. I, I'm no longer sick. I'm no longer contagious, right? And so now they must go to uh, uh, plan E. I don't know uh, what, where they're at. And they have to say, um, they have to attribute to Satan... Beelzebul, uh, the the clear works of God. Uh, and Jesus gives a parable and he says, If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. If only there was a good application to that in 21st century America. Hmm. I'll try to think of one. A kingdom that is divided against itself cannot stand. Um, of course, Lincoln read from this at Gettysburg. Uh, but but from there, after that that little parable, Jesus says, verse twenty eight, Truly I say to you, all sins will be forgiven the children of man, and whatever blasphemies they utter. Whoever blasphemies against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of, of an eternal sin. They were saying he has an unclean spirit. So again, it is attributing to Satan the works of God. Um, can I can I mention the opposite that is too prevalent today? I don't know if they've gained in popularity or, or less. Um, but there are too many people influenced by the prosperity heresy. Prosperity gospel is a very much an American phenomenon. You can only get the prosperity gospel uh, in a nation that is wealthy. So, so this would not be generated in a third world country. Now it's there, but it's been imported from America, or export I should say. Um, but it, it, the genesis won't come from a third world country where people are starving. Um, what the prosperity gospel has done is it has attributed to God the works of Satan. Now, I'm using this language. I'm stealing it from John MacArthur um, because I think he gives the best summary of it. So when you have people barking in the aisles and passing out and and all this sort of stuff, there is nothing good about that. And then you add to it a false theology um, that promise that God promised you health, wealth, and all that sort of stuff, rooted in a false Messiah. Uh, a, a false anthropology that we have a, a spark of the divine with this. That's actually quite quite pagan, at least Gnostic. Um, among other things, a false atonement, a false Christ, a false uh, view of revelation, a false creation. And then you get all these weird, bizarre claims and weird, bizarre uh, deeds. What you have in there is, is you're attributing to God the works of Satan. What you have here is you're attributing to Satan the clear work of God both are very, very evil. The good news is, is those who come out of that, there is grace for you. But the level of depravity for what the Pharisees are doing is quite deep. There is the heart of a rebel is hard to reform. And apart from the clear working work of Christ, it will not happen. But the good news is the man who can Heal the heal the withered hand. The man who can cleanse the leper, the man who can who, who can uh, cleanse the demonized, is the man who saves souls today. That's the good news of the gospel. In fact, notice where this goes in verse thirty-one. His mother and his brothers came. Now, remember, we just met them, right? He's he's in Nazareth, he's in Galilee, and they were trying to seize him. And we get the impression they're trying to do it again. They come uh, and standing outside, they sent to him and called for him, right? They can't get through the crowd. So they they tell someone in the crowd, go get my boy, go get my brother. We got to deal with this. And so uh, they say, Your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. And what is his answer? Who are my mothers and my brothers? Now, he's not playing the, the postmodern gender game, right? The, if male and female don't have meanings, I guess mom and brother don't have meaning today. No, no, no. That's, that's not what he's doing at all. He's making a finer point, looking about at those who sat around him. These are his followers, those who see him as the Son of God. And he says, Here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. Notice what Jesus did here is is he's de, he's defined family in a spiritual sense now he's not saying your biological mother and brother and sister and father and all that sort of stuff is meaningless he's saying that as he will say later you must be willing willing not forced to must be willing to lose those relationships because your relationship with Jesus trumps that And this has been consistent throughout church history. When I was in Africa, we we baptized someone who who had already lost uh, their spouse, their parents, their family, was living in a hut all alone and came to be baptized saying, I've already lost everything else because I profess faith. What is to stop me from being baptized now? And they're right. We must be willing to lose everything, including an election, including a nation, to lose everything for the cause of Christ because the cause of Christ is greater. Jesus looks around and says, look, look, you are those who have been cleansed, maybe of physical healing, yes, but, but mostly of spiritual healing. And there would be a great cost to that. But it is worth it in the end. It is worth it. See, so, yes, there are those who will oppose Christ, who will come against Him. And some from those whom you deeply and dearly love. But Jesus is more valuable. And I believe later in Mark he'll tell some parables like that. Hope to see you guys here tomorrow. will look at chapter 4.